The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. All right, it's a busy, busy day today. Welcome to Squawk Box. Uh, I'm Steve Sedgwick and these are your headlines. Credit Suisse reports a net profit of 253 million Swiss francs as investment bank revenues fall over 40% whilst adding an investigation found failures to effectively manage risk. We're going to hear from the Swiss bank CEO Thomas Gottstein. That's 800 Central European time. Airbus issues a bullish outlook, raising its delivery forecasts and operating income expectations after the French aerospace giant sees a rebound in aircraft demand. We'll speak to the CEO on Street Signs. Facebook takes a knock-in after-hours trade despite beating second-quarter earnings forecasts as the social media giant warns of a significant growth slowdown ahead. Elsewhere, though, Chinese tech stocks surge, really, really surge, as a CNBC source confirms officials from China's market regulator called a meeting with top global investment banks to calm regulatory jitters. Right, Credit Suisse has reported uh, near 80% decline in second quarter net profit after investment bank revenues fell over 40% year on year. The bank outlined an additional pre-tax loss of 653 million francs relating to Arcagos, saying an internal investigation found, and I quote, failures to effectively manage risk at the investment bank's prime services business. Wealth management revenues grew 2% to 3.6% billion Swiss. And I just want to give you the first bit of editorial from me today as well. Yesterday, I said to you that there were very, very strong rote figures from Barclays. If you remember the number, yes, well done, 16.4%. That was a very, very strong number. And dare I say it was equivalent to the kind of rote figures, return on tangible equity uh, that we got from uh, the US players this time round. I just want to put you in comparison here. And this is why Swiss Bank is failing to rally at the moment. The wrote over at Credit Suisse, second quarter return on tangible equity was 2.6%, so around about eight, seven to eight times less than we saw over at Barclays, let alone what's going on over in the United States. And therein lies the promise for the aforementioned Thomas Gottstein. We'll be speaking to him, well, imminently, but we'll give you that interview that Jeff is carrying out in the next 30 minutes. That's at 800 Central European time. Right, let me switch to uh, the brewing sector, to the alcohol sector as well. We're going to be speaking to Diageo's CEO a little bit later on. But over at AB InBev, I can tell you the second quarter revenue at the group, which you can see the year-to-date performance, really not done too much this year, up 2%. And it's a mixed bag, isn't it? You haven't had the sales from um, open pubs, restaurants, bars uh, throughout the pandemic. Of course, it's been sporadic globally, but you have had the at-home sales. So Anheuser-Busch, let me just tell you, the EBIT margin has come in at 27%. Um, but the um, EBIT in uh, the second quarter in US dollars, 3.66 billion US dollars as opposed to expectations of 3.62. So a beat by the time you get to the second decimal, ladies and gentlemen. But the margin, strong margin. Don't forget, price pressures, labor shortages, problems 
problems with workers being off because of the pandemic. They are across every single industry. But uh, the margin here, 56.1 as opposed to 55.5% estimate. So that is a stronger figure. They're talking about the outlook for this year. Uh, reflecting our current assessment of the scale and magnitude of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, which uh, is, of course, subject to change as we continue to monitor ongoing developments. I think that is a very real statement, ladies and gentlemen. They can't say it's going to be X or Y because this ravaging pandemic is affecting, of course, developing world sales as well. And that is where AB has a vast amount of its sales. Okay, let's move on. Airbus has reported a 30% rise in first half revenue driven by higher demand for commercial aircraft. Isn't that extraordinary in the current environment? The world's largest plane maker updated its full year guidance, now expecting to deliver 600 jets by the end of this year. Let's get to Charlotte, who joins us with more. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning, Steve. We're a very strong set of results there from Airbus beating expectations. Something similar that we heard from Boeing yesterday posting their first profit in two years. Well, Airbus, they had gone back into the black in the past two quarters, but this quarter being particularly strong for them. Profit in Q2 1.8 billion against uh, something that was closer to 700 million uh, from a uh, forecast. Uh, revenue of 14.1 billion for the second quarter. So uh, they said they have delivered 297 planes uh, and, take, and took 160 orders at 38 nets. So they're lagging Boeing slightly in terms of orders, but still very strong set of results there. And as a result, as you said, they have upgraded their guidance for the year. Now they're looking at 600 deliveries for this year. The previous number was 566, which was the same number as last year. So now they see a higher number of 600 and they're doubling their adjusted EBIT forecast uh, to 4 billion instead of 2 billion previously and the free cash flow before M&A to 2 billion and previously was just break even. So really upgrading quite heavily their forecast for the year. They also announced a very interesting announcement there that they will launch an, the A350 freighter jet. So that's something that a bit of rumors swirling around about this. It's a part of the market that's very much dominated by Boeing. And uh, there was a lot of rumors whether Airbus was looking at entering this part of the market and said they will launch this. The board has agreed to launch this. So very interesting. You remember that uh, last year Airbus posted a $1 billion they say it was the gravest crisis the aerospace industry had to go through. But now, um, really, we see the recovery starting to come through. They have 7,000 planes in catalog backlog. So now we see that uh, some airlines have started to put some orders in, again, looking at the recovery in the months ahead, and they're getting ready for that. So Airbus had already announced a ramp up of the A320 production line as a bestseller plane. They had announced a faster ramp up than expected, actually. Analysts were surprised, and they, at the moment, they're producing a about 40 uh, planes per month of this plane and they're ramping up to 70 in the first quarter of 2024 so positioning themselves for recovery there so again very strong set of results from airbus upgrading their forecast steve all right thank you very much indeed for that charlotte right it's super thursday here on cnbc do you want to see my day <laughs> come and have a look ladies and gentlemen just one quickly if you do not want to know what the C-suite has to say about the current pandemic, the shortages we're seeing, inflation. Don't, don't bother watching the next three hours or four hours. If you really want the best gauge you're going to get this week are on corporate Britain, corporate Europe, corporate Asia, corporate America, have a look at this. This is my, this is my day. This is the morning on here. Right. It's Super Thursday here on CNBC. This hour, we're going to hear from the CFO of Suez uh, and the chairman of Heidelberger Cement later on. Then we're going to bring you 
Thomas Gottstein, the CEO over at Credit Suisse, as the lender posts second quarter results uh, and an internal review, which we heard some headlines from in the Archegos scandal. We're also going to hear from the leaders of Diageo, just the biggest drinks company in the world, Volkswagen, one of the biggest uh, car companies in the world, the CFOs of Telefonica, of Solvay. And, and then do you want a gauge on the oil market? Yeah, of course you do. Ben Van Burden. This is a man who is fighting with courts at the moment as well to work out the speed of transition for the company. That's coming up at 8.40 CET as well. We're going to hear from Anglo-American. You want to know about diamonds, copper, iron ore? But sales of thermal coal? Mark Coutifani there as well. Pascal Soria? No, not really important at the moment, is it? The biggest drug that's being produced in the world to fight the pandemic as well. Pascal Soria from AstraZeneca. Um, then we've got uh, Daniel Julien as well. This is one of the biggest call center operators on the planet. They've got like, nearly 400,000 call center operatives as well. Uh, Guillaume Fori is on Airbus. We're going to be hearing from them. And then we're moving obviously into street sides. I'll be putting my feet up by then, hopefully. Uh, Comrade Keitzer, who is the CEO of Clarion. Then we've got the CEO of Magnet, Jan Dunning. Uh, and then the CEO of Nokia at the end of it as well. It, don't watch if you don't want to know. If you do, that is all going to be over the next four hours of your programming. All right? In the meantime... Something else going on. <laughs> well, it's finished now, but it is very important for you, ladies and gentlemen. That's the Federal Reserve, uh, which is, I mean, just it's, it's tiptoeing. It's edging closer uh, to tapering its stimulus programs. Well, apparently, uh, saying that the U.S. economy continues to strengthen. But the Fed Chair Jerome Powell cautioned that the labor market is still, well, quote, it's still got ground to cover. To uh, And this is what I said to you yesterday. So no great surprises. Remember, they said, yeah, it's making progress. It's doing really well. But no yet. We haven't made the substantial further progress yet that we need from the central bank to get to those targets. What are the targets? Well, you know the main target uh, is maximum employment and inflation 2%-ish as well. I mean, how much tolerance of that figure that the Fed is prepared to accept, you and I know, is a lot at the moment. Now, the Fed kept its benchmark interest rate, of course, near zero and placed to continue Asset purchases. I mean, we're talking about a huge amount of money, $120 billion per month. All right, so this is what uh, Mr. Powell had to say in a news conference. He talked about supply chain shocks that have been more severe than expected. Well, at least they admitted that, but stuck to his view that the spike in inflation is, yes, you got it, temporary. As the economy continues to reopen and spending rebounds, we are seeing upward pressure on prices particularly because supply bottlenecks in some sectors have limited how quickly production can respond in the near term. These bottleneck effects have been larger than anticipated, but as these transitory supply effects abate, inflation is expected to drop back toward our longer-run goal. I'll tell you what I think is amazing. is I, I, There are times when my job, I'm like, oh, I can't get up at 3 in the morning. There are times I absolutely leap out of bed. And at the moment, I am, believe it or not, leaping out of bed at 3 a.m. because there is so much going on. But look at this how beautifully behaved the markets are. You have had so many corporate earnings. 165 S&P 500 companies are reporting this week. There are some phenomenal figures going on now. Phenomenal outlooks as well. But look how beautifully behaved these markets are. All the oscillation we're talking about, all the volatility. Do you know what these markets have done week to day? Down 0.4% so far on the Dow, down 0.3% on the S&P, down 0.5% on the Nasdaq. Now, bearing in mind where we've come from, Record levels, huge rallies in many cases, huge multiples from where we were three, four, five years ago. But the markets are just very calm amidst all of that Federal Reserve shenanigans, all the concern uh, about the outlook and about COVID and what have you. And again, look at the Treasuries. I mean, even though there are those inflation concerns out there, there is extraordinary oscillation in data out there as well. 
124 on the 10-year Treasury. Is that where Jay Powell wants it to be as they think about thinking about tapering? And maybe we get some more news out of that from the Grand Tetons next month. I don't know. I don't know. If I was a central bank, would I be comfortable 124 that the market fully gets, that the inflation figures are going to calm down but still be elevated going forward and we may have to do something about that? I don't, again, it's worth asking all our guests, isn't it, as well? Asian markets. Let's have a quick look at this as well. What fascinating, fascinating stuff's going on in the tech sector. I'll get to that in a two seconds' time. Look at this. The Hang Seng. Hang on a second. You're asking, why is the Hang Seng up 2.8%? Why is the Shanghai Composite up 1%? Do you know why? It's because of this. A CNBC source has confirmed officials from China's market regulator called a meeting, called a meeting with top global investment banks, global, not the Chinese ones, the global ones, all of them, in a bid to calm jitters over Beijing's regulatory crackdown. Isn't that amazing? Well, Emily's filed this report. Hong Kong and China markets stage a convincing rebound after the CSRC Chinese regulator convened a meeting with global banks to reassure the market and ease fears over the recent regulatory crackdowns. The Hang Seng Index jumps more than 2.5% in trade today after entering bear market territory yesterday. Mainland markets also seeing similar percentage gains. Discussion was led by Vice Chair Fang Xinghai and centered on the education sector, VIE structure or variable interest entities, and the intensity of new policies. The key message was that the government is focused on securing a stronger and brighter future for China, so all policies impacting education, property, fintech, and antitrust are in support of this goal. There was also a mention of where Chinese companies should be listed and whether there was a preference. The CSRC says it does not have a preference and companies can make their own decision, whether it is in Hong Kong or the U.S. or the A-share market, that is, as long as it meets listing requirements. Tech stocks and edtech stocks getting a boost from this news. Tencent shares popping more than 8% after shedding 18% over the previous three sessions. Alibaba and Meituan also rising more than 6 and 7% respectively. For more, you can check out my story on CNBC.com. I'm Emily Tan in Hong Kong. Do check out her story on CNBC.com. There's a lot in there as well. I had a look myself. Right, coming up on the show, Facebook beats earnings expectations, but shares slump in after hours. This is because the social media giant warns of significant slowdowns ahead. Well, that's coming up next. Plus, uh, the podcast, absolutely stellar. It's a vintage piece today. Um, that will be, of course, available from all the usual podcast uh, avenues. Uh, we'll be back after a short break. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. I've got a bit of breather, so I want to do Nestle's story a little bit of justice, okay? Just very, very quickly, if my production team, who are magnificent, I can assure you today, can just show Reckitt and then Unilever to you, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to show you, just because I want to frame this story for you, if I can. So let's just show one of those. All right, show Reckitt. And basically what I'm going to show you is both Reckitt Benkiza 
There you go. And, and, the, and the point is, that, take a look at the right-hand side of the screen, uh, i.e. down 29%, but it's that down tick you can see just on the right-hand side of the screen there as well, uh, i.e. aggressively underperforming expectations when the numbers came out as well. Quick line on Unilever as well, because it's, again, same space. And this is Alan Jope's group as well. I thought the numbers were perfectly respectable when Unilever came out as well. But the fact of the matter is, the shares sold off pretty aggressively. Again, disappointment and concern about the margins, concern about um, the margin costs going forward. The reason why I wanted to frame those two companies before I get to Nestle is because Nestle is one of those premium stocks in this sector. It hasn't had the problems on stakeholder issues that Danone's had. It hasn't had necessarily up to date the same issues overtly uh, that those other two I just mentioned had. But this time around, so Nestle so far is massive divergence between the, the companies you saw just on the screen there. Let's have a look at the numbers because I think they're pretty good. Now, look, the net profit, 5.9 billion Swiss as opposed to 5.84 expected in a poll. That, that's a marginal beat. But look at this. I think this is really impressive. Organic growth of 8.1% versus a 7.4% average forecast. Now, I think 74 would have been fantastic anyway because I've looked at this sector, I, I promise you, in detail for 20-odd years. Uh, and a mean growth trajectory of 4% growth on like-for-like sales is kind of what you've been aiming for over that time. Of course, you need uh, margin expansion rather than margin compression at the same time. So anyone can sell anything, but it's a question of whether you're selling it at decent margins. But the sales figures here, again, they look very, very solid. They're saying the underlying trading profit, and this is my point, Sales on the road, anyone can sell anything at the wrong price, but if you can sell it at the right price and expand your margin at the same time, then, then you're in business as well. And that's why Nestle trades at a premium, because look at this. They've had the underlying trading operating profit margin of 17.4% versus 16.8% in the Reuters poll. They're expecting organic sales growth of 5 to 6% in 2021. So it will abate from that 8% handle we saw, but still pretty solid. And I think that's very interesting. They expect to deliver consistent mid-single digit growth for coming years. Uh, second quarter organic growth was 8.6%. Now, look, the market may treat them in a different way, but the fact of the matter is that is sector beating, sector bar setting kind of numbers, okay, from this later day. So I think that's very interesting. The treatment on the market could be very different because of other nuances, but I thought that was very impressive. Right, let's get on to another story because I've got Josh Corrin waiting in the wings. Facebook shares are sharply lower in after hours after the social media giant warned it expects revenue growth to, quote, decelerate significantly over the coming quarters. This after the social media giant beat second quarter estimates and posted a rise in user growth uh, across its family of apps. Uh, but it once again warned of challenges to its targeted advertising model. Of course, as you all know now, on the back of Apple's latest iPhone privacy settings. Josh Corrin is the founder and chairman and chief investment officer of Musketeer Capital Partners. Josh, an absolute pleasure you can join us. Thank you so much indeed for joining us at this uh, ungodly hour as well. A very easy question to start off with. What did you think of the numbers and the market treatment of those numbers? Good morning, sir. Good morning. and Thank you so much for having me on the show. So I thought that the numbers were great for Facebook. Revenue came in about 4% ahead of consensus while operating profit beat by a handle 20%. So really strong numbers, but I think that the stock reaction is really just a function of positioning. So as we all know, in recent weeks, we've seen massive outperformance of the NASDAQ relative to things like the IWM, so the Russell Index, and also the EEM Index. And this is really because of the China issues that we all know, and they shocked the market, so they forced investors to more or less fly to quality stocks. Facebook was a target of one of them. So Facebook is a subject of missing buy side expectations in our view. Advertising revenue growth of 57% came in line with consensus and was certainly really strong. But given the outperformance of the stock recently, we think that the 57% growth they put up in the advertising line actually fell short of investor expectations that had bought the stock. 
Therefore, that was part of the cause of the down three, down 4% aftermarket trend. Also, the advertising revenue growth deceleration that they got it to on the call is something that probably will worry some people. But we think that overall, we've seen Facebook do this before. They've talked about revenue deceleration in the past. They're always a conservative management team. And I think that the thing that people really need to focus on is how strongly they were able to even grow ad pricing in the quarter. So their ad price and growth is really a function of Facebook's enhanced technology, which is really just top flight amongst any company around the world. So we don't think that there's any issues for Facebook kind of going forward, but this was a question of over-positioning in a name, buy-side expectations being. Yeah, Josh, very fascinating uh, summary there. Thank you. But I mean, look, back in late 2018, you could have bought this stock at exactly a third of its current value. And I find that's an extraordinary rally over such a short period of time as well. Is it possible, you run a long short equity fund as well, and I know that short side of equity funds is always the problematic side of it from anyone I know who's ever run one of those as well. Is it possible to short major US tech names these days, despite that enormous rally we've had, and despite the still quite frothy valuations in some cases, despite, again, the, the, the growth trajectory which you've just uh, outlined there? I think it's not really an outright good idea. I know that people could kind of position for a short in some of these names, but it's really a short-term thing when the NASDAQ kind of gets overextended and then you feel like these names are kind of topped out relative to other names that have underperformed. But I think that over time, what you're seeing is that these walled gardens, particularly in the internet space, continue to just attract more value because really they're seeing a bunch of different things, technology enhancement, data enhancement, leading to better ad targeting and ad pricing, as well as, of course, the engagement boom that they got during the pandemic. So in our view, no, it's not a good idea to sit there short the FANG names kind of over time thinking that, you know, they're going to perform negatively. But in short periods of time, sometimes they work as relative shorts from a, posi from a positioning perspective. What does Facebook need? I mean, I know that there's all kinds of, uh, and to take a Google word, moonshots out there from Facebook of what they're looking at, computer platforms and what have you. But what does it need for the next leg? Or does it just need to carry on doing what it's doing now, Josh? I think that for the next leg, Facebook needs to prove a couple of different things. So first of all, they need to prove that their engagement can really continue to grow at this rate post the pandemic and as the world continues to go back to normal. So as you know, we've been seeing some of these issues elsewhere. Twitter kind of users came a bit in line. Pinterest surprised on users negatively last quarter, and that's still a hot button issue on the stock. So far, we've seen Facebook's user engagement continue. But what we saw this quarter were DAU and MAU numbers that were more or less just in line with consensus, when before we've seen kind of engagement beats. So Facebook needs to show that really the engagement across their platforms um, can continue now going forward, which we're not really worried about because, as we all know, using Instagram is very habit forming. Um, and I think in addition to that, they need to show that the pricing trajectory can continue based on appropriate ad targeting that's really not at risk by any upcoming regulation. And I think that they've just done an amazing job at that, um, you know, so far already. So again, you know, we think that going forward, uh, Facebook will kind of user engagement is definitely a question mark. And I think that that's something that investors are going to wait to see. But I think that Facebook's technology machine is going to keep kind of churning along and, and we're not worried about the company's future performance. Um, always good viewing to watch uh, Congress men and women. I mean, uh, tackling the big, uh, uh, the big tech companies, the Zuckerberg ones are always fascinating as well, and his pushbacks as well. There is there a regulatory threat finally going to come from the politicians, which is going to be meaningful and affect the business models of the likes of Facebook? We think probably not. Um, you know, as a whole, what you're seeing is a lot of saber rattling, particularly in Europe, uh, you know, and then also in the United States. But I think that in general, these companies provide a really strong user proposition. I mean, look, if you think about it, all of us are going to see advertisements in our life anyway. So would you rather see an advertisement that actually makes sense for you and is a product that you may want to buy? Or would you rather see something that is untargeted and makes no sense for you? 
So I think that as long as these companies can continue to maintain the privacy standards that they've been working on over the past couple of years, and particularly Facebook since Cambridge Analytica, um, I think that you know they may get some fines kind of here or there, but we're not going to see a nuclear event that brings down these internet companies. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.